0: Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm Hannah Markham, the chair of the association. Women in Family Law connects, encourages, and promotes professional women across the field of family law in England and Wales. We offer advice, support, and mentoring. And of course, these podcasts. Welcome to the Women in Family Law podcast. I'm absolutely delighted today to welcome James Stewart, who's a leading family lawyer. I think probably the preeminent international family lawyer, renowned for his Blue Book and a partner at Pennington Manchester Cooper. James, it's great to have you here with me.
1: Suzanne, it's so kind of you to invite me on today. I look forward to chatting with you.
0: Yeah, so I, I sort of want to go back to the beginning, as they say, right to the beginning. And to ask you about your path into family law, did you always want to be a lawyer?
1: I was uh, born into a farming family, but interestingly, my granny was the daughter of a lawyer. So she kind of implanted that idea into my head. But actually, you know, as a child, I, I had a real interest in peacemaking in the Northern Irish context. And actually, if you think about it, there's uh, an interesting relationship between peacemaking, between troubled communities and peacemaking within families. So actually, you know, I had this interest in peacemaking. I always had an idea that I wanted to be a lawyer. And really, as I saw, the two kind of came together in the context of family law
0: you've mentioned your grandmother as a, a strong female influence have you had other positive female role models who've enabled you and facilitated your career along the way
1: i'm afraid i'm afraid all my mentors and role models kind of growing up seem to have been women you know my grandmother as you say was a very strong woman she'd never been out of ireland before 1917 when she went to nurse in Flanders as part of the Voluntary Aid Detachment VAD. She, she as I say, was the daughter of a lawyer. And, and actually when I went to uh, the University of Essex as a undergraduate to read law, I was lucky enough to have Carolyn Yates or Carolyn Hamilton as my family law lecturer. And I just loved her lectures. Uh, and she was a an amazing role model. She now is, I think, Professor Dame Dame Carolyn Hamilton. Uh, she's still at the bar, but she was a wonderful teacher, lecturer, and it was really Carolyn who introduced me to family law. And Suzanne, I have to say, when I was uh, when I was a young trainee and you're an equally young partner, we worked together. And you introduced me to the practice as opposed to the academic side of family law, and I remember
0: I just, those times well, James. Yeah,
1: and I f- I find being part of your team, you know, tremendous fun. It was in the days when we did, you know, a bit of high value work, but also legal aids and also everything from care work to private children work. So it was a marvelous introduction it was also the days when trainees actually were sent down to do some advocacy. So it was, you know, that was, that was great. When I went to London uh, as an associate, I eventually moved to Manchester and I think it was 2000. And uh, again, I was lucky enough to work for the former chair of resolution, Jane Simpson, who again was a, an inspiration to me and a great role model until, uh, the time of her retirement just a few a couple of years ago my favorite barristers have been uh jennifer roberts now dame jennifer roberts who was always my silk of choice for a number of years she's been replaced by deborah bangay qc a formidable silk at uh, one hair court but actually uh you know i've had very strong uh female characters as role models throughout my career and actually throughout my life.
0: That's so interesting to pinpoint those various people along the path in your career, James. And thanks for doing that, really inspiring. Now you've got a particular interest in representing mothers in financial proceedings under Schedule 1. And I just wondered if you could explain to us why you're interested in that and some of the cases you've been involved in, obviously anonymized. but I'm, I'm interested in your work in that.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, well, first of all, I've always had an interest in international family law, the international aspects of family law. Schedule 1 proceedings, which are, are effectively financial claims on behalf of children generally born outside marriage, often have an international element. It's quite often that you will have a a, a father who's residing overseas or the like. And because I tend to focus on international and high value cases, I seem to have attracted instructions from quite a number of uh, clients who wish to pursue, mothers who wish to pursue Schedule One claims, I have been lucky enough to act in some of the kind of seminal Schedule One cases, including RE-C, which I think is a case that uh, was the highest award of its time. It was about 10 years ago now uh, in terms of housing and provision for a child. They're interesting cases. They're interesting cases because, you know, Schedule One of the Children Act tends to fill a void and we live in a jurisdiction where unmarried couples, you know, cannot generally expect fairness uh, by virtue of the relationship. Schedule one can be a tool of me, tool in uh, which a lawyer can use in those cases uh, where the parties were cohabiting, but also can be used as a tool where the parties never cohabited and the child was born. It's just a very interesting area of the law, uh, and it's a it's a it's a changing area of the law that there's a whole debate now as to whether or not a schedule one trust or schedule one property do you know why should it be returned to the father at the end of the schedule one period when the child attains the adulthood you know there are lots of there are lots of interesting arguments to be had
0: i totally agree james and in fact my life this year has been dominated by a schedule one case mm. so probably up until this year i have done obviously a numbers of them but I now fully understand your passion for this area of the law and it's something that's excited me in the various debates I've had in relation to schedule mm. one. I think the thing I mentioned in the introduction which I'm fascinated by is how you became the general editor of the blue book and how you've made that the a huge success it is. So again, can you tell our listeners a bit about that?
1: Well, the, the blue book, uh, long name, uh, Family Law, A Global Guide, uh, was first purchased, uh, first published by Thomson Rogers in 2010. I was with uh, the former chair of resolutions assistants, James Simpsons, uh, asked to be uh, general editor of that book. So it was published in 2010. It was launched at a conference in Crete. Uh, The book was Greek Flag Blue because of that. And it's been known as the blue book ever since. The first edition had around 30 jurisdictions because it is a comparative guide to international family law. The fifth edition, which has just been published uh, and we've kept the blue cover, is Carries fifty-seven uh, chapters. The online edition, which is which is available through Westlaw and Practical Law, has over five hundred thousand visitors annually. So, frankly, <laughs> I am as surprised as anyone else by the success of that book. I really enjoy being general editor, and ed- editor enables me to lays uh, on a fairly regular basis with chapter authors from throughout the world but Suzanne do you know I think through our careers we've seen a steady increase in the growth of our our international caseloads and I actually believe that family law practitioners around the world not just in the UK have been looking for a resource which they can use yes it doesn't cover the whole ro- the whole world but it does cover you know 57 or 56 uh seminal jurisdictions uh, and it's really the only publication of its type and the feedback i've i've had is that uh, particularly for young lawyers they like to have it on their desk particularly when they work in a major international city such as new york la paris or the like because it gives them an overview of for example if they have a case with the scottish element family law in scotland and details of a family lawyer who can assist in Scotland and the same is true for Nigeria, Russia, China, Indonesia and many other jurisdictions so it's a it really is a fabulous resource and I, and I believe we just kind of uh, inadvertently tapped into a, a demand which we hadn't fully appreciated was there. Yeah, know, is it's of to...
0: its time, which yeah. is brilliant, that sort of zeitgeist of international family law. And I've noticed as well that lots of the chapter authors are women. Is that a coincidence?
1: It's, it's very interesting. Uh, it wasn't intentional, but quite a number of the initial authors who volunteered to write chapters were leading women lawyers in their respective jurisdictions. For example. Our India chapter author is Dr. Pinky Anand, who is one of the leading family lawyers in, in, in India and a former additional Solicitor uh, General for India. And the same is true in so many other jurisdictions. We have so many brilliant woman chapter authors. Now, the chapter authors aren't exclusively women, but at but, but the top of my head, I can think of like Belgium has a male chapter author, uh, and two or three others, but Suzanne is absolutely correct that I have to say through accident rather than design, uh, the majority of our chapter authors are women and many of them have worked on the book since the first edition. And, uh, I just think that's a happy coincidence, Do you know, it wasn't, uh, I would love to say it was some kind of uh, it was something to do about me. It was only that the the woman family lawyers uh, who write for the book volunteered first and were vetted because of course they had to be uh, fellows of the IFAL and recognized leaders in their fields, the field of family law. But interestingly, do you know, do you know some of the world's great family lawyers, I mentioned Pinky and Aunt. But other lawyers, such as, for example, Suzanne Harris in LA and Anita Chan QC in, in New Zealand, have been just so supportive of the project.
0: Yeah, and I think women are very good at multitasking, James. We'll leave it there.
1: I have to say that a number of the chapter authors have teaching roles as well. And I think that's actually why they're so keen on the publication, because they can use it for they can use it as a tool in their academic careers as well as their legal careers.
0: Yeah, and James, I understand that you often travel to Russia. Is that to meet clients there, to do business development? Tell us a bit more about your tales of Russia.
1: (laughs) Uh, I've always been interested in Russia, and I believe I was one of the first family lawyers in London to travel to Russia on an annual basis with a view to uh, meeting Russian lawyers, meeting family offices in that jurisdiction so it interested me I ended up receiving instructions from Russian law firms uh, and the like and you know for a number of years now I've had a Russian practice as, as I think Suzanne knows some some of my visits to Russia have been kind of successful some of have been less than successful I once uh ended up having to uh Pay for a new table at a hotel when one of my clients started hitting the table with a with a large metal stick. Uh, he was so annoyed with the situation which he found himself. But generally, it's been a it's been a really successful venture. Uh, we have a number of Russian speaking lawyers in my team now. I have never learned uh, Russia. Uh, I don't even speak my own language uh, native language Irish, uh, but. Yeah, it's been fun and it's been useful. And, you know, Russian cases, I think, uh, form a significant proportion of the significant international cases we're dealing with in central London. So it's been it's, it's been a helpful. It's, it's helpful to have knowledge of the country as well as actually just uh, acting in the cases.
0: James, what I've loved when I've been talking to you now is just... Just feeling the passion that you've got for family law, which is fantastic, and I'm sure you'll inspire lots of our listeners in relation to that. But there must be another side to James Stewart. There must be other things that you love doing that you're equally passionate about. What's what are those things?
1: Well, a number of us, including you, good self, Suzanne and Rachel Cooper, run a clubhouse podcast geared towards, uh, targeted at young international family lawyers which takes place every Sunday night in term time. It's not, uh, we're not doing it in, in August, so I do that. But outside of you know, the podcasts and Clubhouse and the like, uh, I really enjoy kind of travelling. I've now got a place in Greece. I spend a lot of time in Athens and the Peloponnese walking. That's how I, I relax. Uh, I also spend a lot of time in Ireland, where I still have family. So for me, you know, I've always been a, a traveller. I've always liked to travel to adventurous places. And that's how I tend to let my hair down. I'm not quite as athletic as Suzanne. I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and James, what about your plans? You know, the next, say, five years, any great thoughts, ideas, plans? Or is it just continuing to do the same and doing it excellently as you do? No, I
1: want to continue uh, I want to continue with the blue book uh, I'm looking forward to already uh, looking forward to an even larger uh, sixth edition, but no I just I love family law, I think it's a real uh, privilege to act uh, for the clients we act for and to to be called in to assist uh, individuals who are going through dreadful periods of their lives. I think we've got a responsibility to deal with matters constructively, cost-effectively, and decently. And frankly, I think that's what I've kind of learned from all of my role role models. Be a decent family lawyer. Let's not inflame matters. Uh, Let's consider creative options, including all forms of ADR. Um, And it goes to what I said at the very beginning, you know, Peacemaking outside of the family, and I'm still very, very involved in peacemaking uh, in Northern Ireland through Corporation Ireland. But peacemaking outside of the family and peacemaking within the family are difficult to achieve, but very worthwhile. It's very worthwhile when you're able to see positive results, whether it's Corporation Ireland looking at the children who are benefiting from. Cooperation Ireland initiatives, or within the context of family law, when you manage to achieve constructive solutions without damaging the actual family.
0: James, it's been fantastic talking to you. I've learned things about you I didn't know, even though we've been good friends for a long time. So, thanks so much for being my guest. And I know that our listeners will really enjoy listening to this podcast, whether it be on a sun lounger somewhere in the next couple of weeks or alternatively so. on a rather drizzly winter walk, whatever it may be. Um, Obviously, we'll look forward to um, ensuring that people listen to this. You've been a great guest. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women in Family Law podcast. Our theme music is Low Tide by Sam Hare, found on Spotify. Please visit our website, womeninfamilylaw.net, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at @wiflaw and follow, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts.